You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Well, good morning, Life Church. How you doing this morning? You look good. It is a pleasure to be with you again. Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12? We're going to finish off this chapter. Um, I, uh, I don't know if I've gotten a chance to say this over here. I, I, I officially don't have any more teenagers in my house. Now, now I want to be clear, those of you that are teenagers, it's not because I don't like teenagers. I love teenagers. I really do. I just think that parenting teenagers is the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. And uh, so getting my daughter, she just turned 20, and now that she has turned 20, and I have officially kept her breathing all the way through. Uh, well, the Lord kept her breathing all the way through. Um, I just, I don't know, that seems like a major accomplishment to me. So. Hooray for our side. Okay. Uh, If you are a parent of teenagers and you think that's been difficult, maybe we need to start a life group. We can commiserate together and pray for one another. But um, I was talking to my daughter. um, She's she's studying nursing at Anderson. And so, uh, and she's found herself in a very challenging part of it. And whether, you know, I think she's fighting through, like, can I do this? And uh, for for those of you who have uh, been nurses, you know how hard that program, you know, those programs are. And um, and it got me thinking about her vocation and what she's going to do. I think a lot of times our young people are going into their life and they're going, what is my life going to be for? And so they're praying through their, I hope they are. I hope our young people are really being coached by us to pray about what you're going to give your life to do. And we, so I, I got thinking of Kari and what she would look like in a little nurse's outfit, like, like you know, and uh, with a little hat on, right? Because nurses wear hats. At least I think they do. Um, well, they used to. They used to wear hats. And I've, I've seen them come out of ORs and they have hats on. So I, I know they do wear hats. And if I've just gotten that completely wrong, it's just going to mess up my illustration. But a lot of people, you wear a hat... That, uh, that may go along with your vocation. Like, what, what do you do, right? And, and so I, I came from uh, uh, Western Pennsylvania, and that is a coal mining town, right? We had the steel industry there. And, um, and so I remember going down in my basement one day, and I found this really cool hat and had a big light on it. And then, you know, because some of my, uh, my family relations were... were were coal miners. So I just got thinking about hats. We're going to talk about a kind of a very special hat, but I thought we might be able to play a game. How many would like to play a game? I'm going to show you a hat. You call out to me what you, what you are if you wear that hat. Okay, here we go. Uh, uh, if you wear this hat, this was an easy one. You're a firefighter, but you know what? I think heroes wear that hat, right? People that fight Fire, run into buildings. I think heroes wear that hat. Let's try another one. That was too easy. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, I see the Swedish chef. I don't know why, but I just want to go orky, borky, 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 borky. You know, like I, that's the hat I see. But, you know, if you create those little delectable dainties that I love to munch on, hooray for you um, because you are awesome. Okay, let's see the next one. Ah, now I do want to say... Okay, well, 
I do want to tell you, just, just in case anybody is going to write me a nasty letter later, um, that I, I tasked one of our young men, and I said, hey, will you come up with this illustration for me? And this is what they came up with, okay? And I think it's pretty hilarious. Okay, let's go ahead and see. Okay. I guess you wear this hat if you're really ticked off about what's going on in the country right now. I don't, uh, let's go to the next one. What do you, what do you do? Okay, it's Daniel Boone's hat, so he's a, tra a, a trapper or a hunter. You, you wear this hat, okay. Or you just like American history, okay. What about this hat? Okay, yeah, you wrestle crocodiles and take snake bites for, into your face for a living, I guess. Okay, how about this next one? I guess you just rule the galaxy if, if, uh, if you have this hat. We're going to actually talk about a very special hat that came up in Scripture. It's kind of a portion of Scripture a lot of people will just read right past. But here at Life Church, if you're new with us, we, we don't read past anything. Because, uh, because we think that God has a great, a great word for us in any of His Word. And so I, I'm just going to tell you the earthly story, and then I'm going to tell you what I think it prophetically uh, really should mean to our hearts today. Um, but I'm going to just ask you to do this. Would you just put your hands on your heart? Let's just do something. Just put your hands on your heart. Because the Bible says that not only does God have, you know, he has something for you today. And I just want you to come expecting of him. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for my friends. Lord, as we get ready to partake of your word, I pray that you would have a word for us today. Lord, you know all about our lives. And you know what we need to hear. So by your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Okay. So bringing you back to where we were, uh, we have been talking about King David. Uh, we've talked about where King David gets into sin with Bathsheba. He gets called out by the prophet Nathan. The Lord uh, really reveals to him that he is, he's, been in major sin. He, he committed adultery and murder, and he, he repents. When he's confronted with his sin, he repents. And the Lord decides he's not going to, to kill David for his sin, but he has a baby that's born. This baby is going to die, and we talked about that being a prophetic picture to us that God indeed has a plan that he would allow an innocent life to suffer for our sins. Now, ultimately, you know, the Bible is type shadows and pictures for us. And what we were to walk away from that very heavy word it was that God permitted Jesus to come and he was innocent of all things. He died in place of our iniquity, right? It's a spiritual picture, but we, we, we got to see that. So now David is, he, he loses this child and he he says, he says these little words. He says, that child cannot come to me. I must go to him. And he's, it's like David is, he's got this moment where he can correct his life. And he takes that very seriously. And if you remember, it, when he got into trouble, he was supposed to be going out to fight because it was the time when kings go to war. But he sent his nephew, Joab, who is the commander of the kingdom of of Israel. He's the commander of the armies. David should have been out sieging this particular town, 
It's called, it's called Amman, right? In Araba, and it is in the ancient city of, um, of Amman. And that today, maybe you know that, that, that city. It's in Jordan. So we're going to be talking about that today. Go with me. Uh, this is chapter 12, verse 26. And it says, Now Joab fought against Rabbah and the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. This was supposed to be the city that David was sieging. David, remember, he stayed home and he got himself into trouble. But his, you know, his guys are still out there in the field. They're still doing what they're supposed to do, take this city. And so this city is an interesting city because it is, uh, it's talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 3. And it dates all the way back to when Moses was alive and they conquered this city and there was a king there at that time. His name was Og and Og was the last of the Rephaim or the last of what they called the giants or the terrible ones. And so some of you, you come in, you go, do you really believe in giants, Pastor Nathan? You bet I do. I believe in giants. And Abraham Lincoln believed in giants. He wrote about it when he went to go visit Niagara. They were pulling giant bones out of the ground. It was in all the newspapers at that time. And e even in the New York Times, they were pulling out these, these burial mounds. They're pulling out giant bones. And he makes this statement and he says, these waters of Niagara, when he saw it with his own eyes, he says, these waters of Niagara, these were flowing when the giants who walked this land were alive. So he must have saw something in his day coming out in the papers at that time. He believed in giants. We know that David killed a giant in, in, whose name was Goliath. So I, I don't know. If, if you have a hard time struggling with that, I just want to let you know the position of this house here at Life Church. We believe what the Bible says. And if it tells us there was this ancient race of giants, well, we believe that. So... In this particular portion of scripture, back in Deuteronomy, this king was the Raphaim. He was the last of them, and, and he had a very special bed. Now, they, they were trying to get you to see the sizes. There's a whole lot of sizes and scale that's talked about in First and Second Samuel. And so we need to break that down from cubits and from shekels, and we need to put those into to measurement that we understand. When we talked about Goliath, he was nine and a half feet tall. His armor, bronze armor, weighed 200 pounds. The iron head of his spear weighed 25 pounds. There's giants talked about in the scripture. It says that their spear shafts were the size of weaver's beams. I mean, they're, they're heavy, heavy, heavy things. Well, when we get talking about Og, we hear that his bed was 13 and a half feet tall. Now, how many have a king-size bed? You just don't have an Og-size bed, okay? It was six feet wide, and it was made of iron. There's probably a reason for that. How tall? Let's just say the guy's 11 feet tall. How, how much would a guy like that weigh? I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds pounds bigger than Shaquille O'Neal. This, 
This king was from this town. He's been defeated. He's dead, but there's a special hat that I think belonged to this ancient king. So this is the Rabbah that was talked about. This isn't the first time they've gone up against this city. This is at least the second time, but it's probably been four or 500 years since the people of God have come against this particular city. And so Joab sends a message to David, and he says, I have fought against Rabbah, and I have captured the city of waters. So remember that it was Joab who was particularly used to capture Jerusalem. How did he get it? If you recall back to when we taught through that, they had to go up through the, 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 the water shafts in order to get through and defeat it. So Joab knows water is a key to being able to defeat and lay siege. So he has gone to the city of waters. He's overcome it. It's probably taking years. Uh, sieges are not quick things. They're not like, oh, we're going to defeat you in a season. If that, if that place means to hold out, then they have brought stores of water inside, food supplies inside. They, they know that they can get up with their siege weapons. They can defend their walls. Walls were very, very, very great in those days. Huge walls. I've been over to Jerusalem, and there are walls that are from the middle of this platform to there, over to that corner. Just solid with rocks all the way through it. They're enormous. So sometimes it was very difficult to take these particular cities. This has probably taken a very, very long time. And he has, he has labored over this city, but now he's being afforded, he, he, he's talking to David about it because he's about to take it. And typically when you take a city, it gets the king's name. So you want the king to get the glory for it. That's how it should go. And if you don't have the king get the glory for it, it'll get named after the general who took it. And that is not what a good general would want to do, a good commander. Look, I'll show you. Look what Joab says. Verse 28, Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it, or I will capture the city and it will be named after me. But I don't want the glory for this city I want you to have the glory. Now, let's talk about the glory. We pray things. We, how many have, in your life, you've memorized the Lord's Prayer? Memorized the Lord's Prayer? Good, you should, okay? It's not a prayer that I think we ought to just say it and then we're done praying. I think it's actually parts that we need to pray and it's like sections, and you unwrap that, and I find it very easy to pray for an hour if I just pray the Lord's Prayer, just the sections of the Lord's Prayer. But one of those things it says at the end of the prayer is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Kings take glory from the field. What is glory? It's actually, it's, it's weight is what the scripture says the glory is. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weight. It's a term for weight. It's interesting, when Jesus prophesies against the city of Jerusalem, he says, hey, uh, you know, he talks about that, that you, you're going you're gonna to kill me. I'm going to come back from, from the grave. But he talks about it in terms of a temple. 
And he says, I could destroy this temple and I could raise it up in three days. For everybody listening to that at that time, that was nuts. Because it had taken them over 40 years to get to the point they were at and they still weren't completely done. So for him to say what he says makes no sense. They're mocking Jesus because they don't understand he's talking about his body. He's not talking about the literal temple, but he prophesies against the temple and within 40 years, you have, a, you have what's called the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and, and the city is, is just totally destroyed. He says to his people, he says, when you see the city surrounded, get out. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't make much sense. Why? Because when you surround a city, you're under siege. Nobody's getting out. Well, here's what actually happened. There was a general who came in prior to Titus, the son of the emperor. And he had surrounded the city, and now Titus is coming in. Titus says, hey, I know you've surrounded the city, but I'm not going to let you get the glory for what I'm about to do. I want you to back off completely. Get back. And Jesus said these words, when you see the city surrounded, get out. And then all of a sudden, here, 70 AD, what happens? The Christians remember the words of Jesus, and they go, let's get out of here. They broke the siege off for a moment, and it enabled the Christians to get out. So when, when Rome sacks Jerusalem, almost no Christians are in the city because they believe the words of Jesus. As soon as that siege was broken, they back off, and then Titus comes in and he reestablishes the siege and he doesn't let anyone out. Does that make sense? So, in a way, that's what's going on in this text because now David's going to come in, he's going to surround the city and he's going to get glory for it and it's going to get named for him, what he's done. Joab understands all this. Here's Joab, and Joab's an interesting character, and we're going to see a lot of Joab in the next seven chapters. We've seen him already. Joab is a hothead. He is, I like Joab. I kind of feel like sometimes I, I'm like Joab. Maybe you will too after you hear a little bit about him. Sometimes he is the voice of reason, and sometimes he is the voice of idiocy. Maybe some of you feel like him today. I, I sometimes can really uh, feel like Joab. Maybe you have some friends like that. You're like, yes, I have a friend that that reminds me of. Don't like elbow them or anything like that right now. But just know that sometimes you've got to discern between what your friends say to you. Are they telling you good information or bad information? Are they speaking God's word over you or are they speaking their own thing? Here in this place, Joab is actually doing a really good thing. Joab is saying, I want the glory to go to you, David. So come and receive glory because that's what's proper. I, I, want, I don't want this thing named after me. I, I think it should be named after you. And so verse 29, David gathers all the people. He goes down to Rabbah. He fights against it, and he captures it. So it seems like all the work is really done, but he comes in, and he gets the glory for it. And I think that we have to look at our lives and recognize that we are servants of the king. We are people who have been called in his name to advance the kingdom of God. 
Is that true? Of course, yeah, that's, that's what the scripture says. We are not to seek our own glory in this life, but we are to seek the glory of the king. There's a scripture that helps the Christian put things into right order in their life, and it's seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. It's not to seek all these things that you want to add to you. It's seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I just have a question for you. Who's the righteousness of God? Jesus. Seek first the kingdom and the king. Don't worry about the other stuff. And I think that Joab is a, is a picture for you and me today. Let's look at him and see that we have this opportunity with our lives to take glory or to give glory, to make sure that God gets it or do we get it. And when the Lord comes, because he is returning, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. When he returns, he is going to question your stewardship and mine. And he is going to ask you what you did with that stewardship. And he is going to judge you based on what you did in this life. How big is this part of our lives to our total existence? The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's like going outside on a cold day and breathing, and it's there for a second, and it's gone. But that is not the whole of your life. The whole of your life goes on for zillions and zillions and zillions of years without end. But you may only have 70 or 80 years in this life. But what you do in this life will echo in eternity. What you do in this life, you're literally going to be judged on it, and it's going to make a difference for how you live the zillions of, I don't even know what's above zillions. But it's life without end. And so the question comes down to what drives you? Are you driven to get stuff in this world are you driven by comfort in this world? Are you driven by what you want your neighbors to think of you and keeping up with the Joneses? Or are you driven by eternity? Where are your eyes? And to whom will you bring the glory? I want you to remember that we get something upon his return. We are given cities. If you have been faithful in little, you will be faithful over much. In Luke 19, he says, be thou ruler over, and he gives different levels of cities. Now, cities to us are, in many cases, they're buildings, but to God, cities are not buildings. God could care less about buildings. He cares about the people that live in those buildings. I, I am enjoying right now driving in Noblesville and seeing the buildings going up. Now, some of you, you may feel differently. You live in Noblesville, and you know that with those buildings come traffic, and that ticks you off. Well, here's my thing. 
I don't live in Noblesville, so I just drive through here. Okay, the, the point is, I see, my eyes see, more people coming into our realm of influence for the kingdom of God. I see young families. I see little ones. I see the ability to, to rob hell and populate heaven. I see people God loves. What do you see when you look at the cities? In verse 30, it says, Then he, David, took the crown of their king from his head, and its weight was a talent of gold. And in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoils of the city in great amounts. Okay, now we can read right past something when we're talking about details, and we, that's why it's so important that we slow down and we think, okay, what city is this? What does the Bible say about this city? What, what old stories do we have of this city? Because if you just read by that there was a crown and it, and it was a talent of gold and you don't know scales and measurements, you'll just miss the whole thing. Remember, Goliath's armor weighed how much? 200 pounds. His spearhead was 25 pounds. This talent of gold in this crown is the heaviest crown ever recorded in human history. It's 75 pounds. Okay, if any of you came up here and I had plates from the gym and tried to stick them on your head <laughs> to 75 pounds, even if you're as big as Dave Barnes, <laughs> I promise you, you're going to see Dr. Tim for your chiropractic adjustment <laughs> the next morning. 75 pounds is an unbelievable weight to put on your neck. Chrissy and I were over in Spain for Project Rescue, and we got to go to the presidential, I'm sorry, the royal palace. Got to go to the royal palace. And when we went there, it was 3,000 rooms. So let that sink in. We got to go to 13 of them. One of them was the throne room. You literally saw the great throne of the king of Spain. Another one we got to go in, there's this glass case, and in the glass case was the crown of Spain, which is so heavy, and I think it only weighs like eight or nine pounds. It's so heavy that they had to put it on chains and that the king would kind of sit underneath of it. 75 pounds, folks. I think what we're talking about is an ancient crown of Og the giant. I think this, and who were the giants? The giants are never good. They're always the enemy of the Lord. They, there's no good giants in the Bible. I don't care if you like Andre the giant. That just, I'm telling you. And so... But the, they talk about a precious stone. Now, I know how that reads, but 
But a lot of archaeologists argue over this because they say, does it have like a great diamond or something in it? Or is it that it sits on a stone? So they kind of argue about it. A 75-pound crown probably that fit a giant could not fit on David. It would go over his head. And they put it on his head for like 15 seconds, probably. It's like, okay, king, can we, can we put this on you? Okay, just for a second. Yeah. And it sits down on his shoulders. And he's like, okay, get it off. Get it off, guys. <laughs> now, they, when Og died, if this is his crown, and I say if because I'm not sure, so it's conjecture. But they put it, the precious stone may be the stone of their God that, that they worshipped in that place. And, and tracking this back, my best understanding of this is it's the God Molech. Now let me bring Molech to life for you. Molech was a God that when you went out to worship him, he had, um, he had like metal arms. And they would have his arms out like this, and they would have pipes because they had a furnace in his, in his stomach that they fed the fire. And then the heat from the pipes, or the heat from the furnace goes through the pipes and out his arms. And then they would take their babies, and they would stick their babies on his arms as a sacrifice and an offering. I want you to think of the searing of children. They didn't just do it to normal people's children. They actually, princes, were thrown up there as well. Or they would cast babies into its furnace. Now, if that's the crown that sat on Molech, David has dethroned and decrowned a god. A false god, a wicked god. I want you to see that this is a great victory over intense wickedness when this city falls. A lot of times we, we will quote the scripture that God has the, uh, he has the, uh, the wealth of the wicked stored up for the righteous. And we think it's about money. God could care less about money. Just doesn't care. Think about what God does with gold. He uses it as asphalt. Asphalt. But what does God want to populate his kingdom with? People. And our world is so twisted around. Our world sees wealth and possessions. They see recessions and they worry about their money. What would happen if the people of God got their minds right and started thinking that the priority of my life is the priority of my king and his righteousness. We defeat the enemy for a living. I put that on Facebook. What do you do? I destroy hell for a living. <laughs> and some of you think, well, just a preacher could write that. Hey, guys, we're all preachers. We are ministers, every one of us. It really doesn't matter what hat you wear. 
you're going to propagate the kingdom of God and advance it everywhere. And God calls you to whatever he calls you to, to make a dent in that area of darkness in the world. For what? For his glory. To take possession of what God values, people, you will never lose what you bring from hell into heaven. It says he brought out the spoils of the city in great amounts. He also brought out the people who were in it. He set them under saws and sharp iron instruments and axes, and he made them pass through the brick kiln. Before you read that as David tortured all these people, that's not what it means. When a king overcame a particular people, they would put them under forced labor. They would disarm them, and then they would put them under forced labor. That's what he did here. And he says, okay, now go out, and then I want you guys to take the wealth of this, this land, and we're going to build it up and develop it. And that's what he did to those who would not own him as king. They were put into bondage. Keep that in mind. Because some of us don't like the talk of hell. We don't think churches should talk about hell. Hell is not our great selling point. Could we go easy on hell? Jesus Christ himself talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And he did it because hell is as bad as it is because it is a warning. Getting those teenagers through your house, how many of you have leveled thousands of warnings? Did you do it because you hated those teenagers? No, you did it because you loved them. Hell is a warning, and its intensity and, its, and, and, and just how bad it is is because God does not want you to go there. It wasn't even created for humans. It was created for the devil and his angels. But if we are rebels against God, then what happened to the devil and his angels will also happen to us because God is just. But God does not want people to go there. Every single city in this area, people were put into bondage because they wouldn't own him as king. So here in these few verses, here's what I think you and I can carry away as application for our lives. Because what we're talking about today are very real realities of heaven, hell, reward, sorrow. I want you to really look at Joab and see what he shows us. The work of a servant of a king is in the capturing of cities. God loves people. The work of the servant of the kingdom is to ultimately bring glory to the king. That's what your life is all about, your work. You say, well, my work was just to take care of my family. No, that's a plus. Your work is to do the will of him who sent you. You have been sent to this world to bring him glory. 
your work. So many people are looking forward to retirement. And I love all the people. Now, look, if you're retired here, praise God. That's no problem. But your ministry hasn't ended. Your prayers haven't stopped. Your influence in the kingdom is not over. I, I worry for those who retire and do nothing. Because I see those people die. They've lost their purpose and their mission for living. Look, if you, you're, you're entering retirement, you need to see yourself as if full-time in the ministry now. And get on with the, with, the, with the business of the kingdom. Go talk to my mother and she'll put you to work. <laughs> on retirement, there's this guy named Caleb in the Bible. He's 85 years old. But, but just so you know what Caleb means, because names mean something, Caleb means dog. Kalev in Hebrew. It wasn't a good name. If your name's Caleb, I apologize. <laughs> That's what it meant. I just want to tell you why you have hope today if your name's Caleb. Because this 85-year-old man goes and talks to Joshua when they come into the land, and he goes, hey, I am 85, but I still have strength in my limbs. I'm just as strong as I ever was. I've got kids, I've got grandchildren, I've got great-grandchildren. I was told that that mountain is mine, and I want my mountain. And so Joshua goes, take your mountain. And he goes out, takes his mountain, and now everybody names their kid Caleb. <laughs> he redeemed the name. Now people don't know it means dog. They think of Caleb in the Bible. I'm just telling you, if you're 85, where are your mountains? Are you done? Have you capitulated to old age? Or are you still in the fight? Willing to let your life bring glory to the king. The spoils of a captured kingdom is what lasts forever. There was a man who he, he said, I'm going to be buried in my Corvette. And they said, what? Yeah, he had this beautiful Corvette. I like Corvettes. Beautiful Corvette. He said, I'm going to be buried in my Corvette. And so he bought enough plots that he, and he worked it out with the graveyard, pull all the fluids out of it when I die so it doesn't hurt something, and put the Corvette in the ground and put me in the driver's seat. What a waste of a Corvette! <laughs> what a waste! Did he get to wherever he was going in a vet? No, he just ruined a perfect vehicle. You can't take these possessions with you when you die. So here's what I'm going to tell you. May we all spend everything we have for the glory of Christ while we live. Corvettes are nice. <laughs> I want you to see that those who will not submit in this life will experience great loss and bondage. While heaven and hell are real propositions, we better be robbing hell and populating heaven. And I want you to see the last part. All the people who were loyal to the king returned to the city of the king. 
Jesus is coming again, I promise. His word is clear, he's coming again. And when he comes, he's gonna be giving away cities and he's gonna be giving away crowns. Our goal is not to show off our crowns. Our goal is not gonna be, look at the crown I have. It's bigger than your crown. We're not gonna do that. There was a time close to the 19, 1900s that uh, there was a guy who was talking about the second coming of the Lord. He was doing it over in England and uh, one of the people who was listening was Queen Victoria. And Queen Victoria listened to every word that that man had to say. And she was talking to one of her chaplains. And she, she said she'd like to have a conversation with that preacher. And she said, oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. And the chaplain said, why? Why, your majesty, do you feel this very earnest desire? And she said with quivering lips that the whole countenance of the queen lighted up by this deep emotion. And she said, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. That's her crown. You see, God is going to give us the crown of life. But we're not going to compare the size of our crowns. We're going to get down on our knees and we're going to take our crown and we're going to lay it right down at his feet. And we're going to worship Scripture tells us that this is what the four and the 20 elders do with their crowns. I just want to tell you, if that is what we're walking into, why would we squander this life? Why don't we do it now? Why don't we just give our lives away and make sure that we take with us to heaven what matters to God most? so we can lay our crowns at his feet. That old song, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. God gives us these messages so we can reprioritize our lives. Because I don't know about you, but it's easy to get my eyes off of what matters most. I tell you this because God loves you so much, I do not want any poppers in heaven that attend Life Church on earth. I want you to be wealthy beyond, beyond your wildest dreams with the people that you stole from hell and you put into heaven because you showed them Jesus. I want your life to matter and what you did to echo and reverberate through eternity and so Jesus gives us this message today. What are you going to do with your crown? What are you going to do with your crown? 
We heard a word last week. It was passionate from Dr. Beth Grant. Are you motivated by the kingdom? Or have your eyes just been all over the natural and you lost your way? Today's the day of repentance. Today's the day to get our eyes back on the ball. Would you close your eyes with me? And I just want you to be honest with the Lord about where you are right now in terms of your priorities. Some of you, you've never given your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, give your life to Jesus. You'll never, ever find a greater king. Some of you, you are living for yourself. This is a message of God's mercy to you because he's calling you and saying, I want you to have a life way different from what you're living. I want you to have purpose and meaning and be on mission, and I want to accomplish great things through you. But right now, you've got some soul searching to do. So we're going to worship, and I'm going to leave you to the Holy Spirit to do his work in your heart. We have people down here ready to pray for you. If you, you, you want to have somebody pray for you, you can pray a prayer and make a change. Tell somebody what you've done so that you can be held accountable and to get that thing done. And then let's worship the Lord. I hope these next songs, they are not just songs you sing. I hope you have a picture in your head and I hope that your worship is unbelievably sincere before the Lord because God wants to do something special in this place this morning. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.